Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. everybody. Welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo. With me today is Dan Lyons. Happy July, everyone. Just a couple more weeks until we get back in the uh, swing of things with football season here. Woo! It's, uh, it's really not a lot going on in sports right now besides baseball and uh, DeAndre Jordan slumber party going on right now in Texas, which will be wrapped up by the time everyone hears this. It might actually be a hostage situation at this point. We're not entirely sure. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, for people listening on Thursday, as you already know, uh, the Mavericks pretty much took every form of transportation possible. Well, the Clippers, excuse me, took every form of transportation possible to get to Houston to talk to DeAndre Jordan and convince him to come back. It seems like that's going to happen. The Mavericks also can't get into DeAndre's house to talk to him now before the deadline for free agency uh, kind of hits at what would be, in their time, 11.01 Central. Yeah, are they like, like people said they were surrounding DeAndre, but, like, literally, though, like, does he want to meet with the Mavericks? Because I'm pretty sure, like, he can kick people out of his house and let Mark Cuban in. I don't, I don't think they're going to let him in. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, I mean, obviously the the Clippers don't have anywhere else to go. I guess in the area. But uh, well, considering I'm, apparently I'm Blake Griffin came from Hawaii and CP3 came from like Costa Rica or wherever he was riding up in Annabelle with everyone. Uh, I guess they mean business, even though up until this point everything we heard about the relationship between Jordan and Chris Paul and everything else was like really bad. So apparently they. Uh, they figured that they should probably keep him, even though they treated him like crap for a couple months. Yeah, I mean that's definitely the uh, definitely the weird angle here is is what what has been what has been rectified 
um, between DeAndre and, and the organization in particular, what has been rectified between DeAndre and Chris Paul? Seems a, seems a little little quick for everyone to just kind of mend fences and move on. Maybe they signed some kind of like handshake per game agreement. I know that was a hang-up for Jordan. What I want to see is if people could do this for recruits, would Alabama just send like Nick Saban to everybody's house and just kind of box them out for the rest of the day? Or would, I mean, it's, it's wild that like this has never happened before. And, and I don't, I, I feel like a rule is going to be put in place to make sure it never happens again in any sport. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unlike anything I've seen. I think Alabama would actually send, like, actual elephants to every recruit's house on signing day just to, like, keep people out. Which, again, not the worst idea. If you, if you want to keep your, your recruits or your free agents, um, elephants is a great way to do that. I think it'd be very effective. Orange is probably not so Indeed. much. I think I think uh, <laughs> I think Jim Harbaugh could kind of manage his way around like a, a maze of oranges. Although if you really built like a, an effective labyrinth, that'd be pretty interesting. <laughs> All right. So enough about the NBA for right now. We'll get back to it. Um, Syracuse. Uh, we'll start off. I guess we might as well start off with the McNabb issue quick before we kind of jump into some actual on the field. Dan, I kind of put my thoughts together in a, in a column on, on Wednesday. What are your thoughts? I mean, you know, McNabb's not a voting member. He's he's kind of more an ambassador than anything else. Um, do you think that no matter what, though, he might need to be kind of pushed into the background for, for maybe a year or so until whatever he personally needs to, to sort out gets sorted out? Yeah, it's weird because, like like you said, he's not a voting member, so it's not like he's, you know, at least to our knowledge, affecting any, like, significant change at FU. But he's still a figurehead. He's still someone who has donated a lot of money and time and effort uh, and is an important person to the university, even if, you know, he's not voting on, on you know, building plans and stuff. But you can't have someone who is – on the board of trustees, whether or not it's a figurehead role or, or whatever, uh, going and getting arrested for DUIs every 18 months. It's just a really bad look, um, especially when then he also has enough uh, clout to say something about the number 44 and, and it makes national headline news. Like, you can't, you can't have someone who has that kind of say and is a media member and everything else also affecting the way the university is seen. So... Um, I don't know if we need to strip him of a title or anything, but I think there needs to be, you know, some kind of sit-down agreement. And just Donovan needs to know that, you know, as long as he's going to have these legal issues, like he can't be a face of the university. Right. And I think we, we talked about it kind of on, on in the comments, and it seems like people are kind of on the fence because of, of McNabb's stature. But you know what? I... I'm not one to, to really endorse preferential treatment. Um, I don't I don't think that anyone, you know, because they played football for a few years or because what, whatever they might do within an organization, I don't necessarily think they deserve a free pass. Um, it's not like this is the first incident. It's the second at this point. Um, he just, he's going to be associated regardless, but if you kind of let one or both, 
sides kind of publicly put that role on hiatus. Um, at least remove some damage for SU. We haven't seen a ton, admittedly, at this point, but that doesn't mean it, it won't occur. And, you know, like I said in the article, I think we've, we've definitely had our fair share of PR issues in, in recent years. Um, it'd be nice for once to kind of, you know, get out of a situation uh, with a, without a black guy if we can. Yeah, and luckily we haven't seen it, like, connected. I mean, you can't – I mean, if we were going to take uh, – if we were going to be liable for everything our alumni do, uh, our alumni base does, I mean, Marvin Harrison probably would have caused a little more trouble for SU, um, allegedly anyway. But, uh, yeah, it's just – it's 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 bad because – especially because it was his second second offense. Like, people, DUIs obviously are, are pretty inexcusable, but people make mistakes, and, and we probably both know people who have had – uh, DUIs on their record, and and you hope that they wouldn't have that happen again. So two in this, especially in this shorter time frame, is just really bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see how the university responds, or if they feel a need to. Um, it should also just it might be something that they handle internally. So we'll we'll have to wait to find out, I guess. Too true. I am not one who sees how the uh, the legal process works um, in terms of DUIs or anything like that. But yeah. You know what? These uh, these things will work themselves out, and we'll have to kind of get the uh, the final answer. I guess this is kind of devolving into a, a Donovan McNabb type. <laughs> things will things will work themselves out as they do, and, and, and rambling. So we'll end it there. <laughs> he also needs a publicist real bad. <laughs> that that statement he gave on his radio show or whatever was atrocious. Mostly because it didn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it made no sense, the fact that it didn't really seem too apologetic, I think, or, or too alarming, that's on, on my part. I think that that's where I was kind of done with, uh, with giving him, like, the benefit of the doubt of, you know, like, all right, let's let him work through this and figure it out. Like, like, once he said that, I'm like, eh, you know what? Like, and again, like, I haven't talked to him, so I don't I don't know what, what his feelings are right now, but based on everything, I think he doesn't seem... It just doesn't feel like he's overly, you know, conscious of, of the severity of what's happened. Yeah. I mean, he would have been better off just like, I don't know. He didn't know how to, whatever way he, uh, he just, he, almost any way he addressed it could have been better than what he did. But, you know, we're not, we're not uh, strangers to Donovan not being the most uh, articulate person at times, especially around, iffy issues like this for NFL overtime or other things. So, unfortunately, it wasn't all that shocking that he released a pretty uh, incoherent statement about the whole issue when he probably shouldn't have just left it alone unless he was prepared to have, like, a lawyer write one up. Too true. Well, I think we'll, 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 we'll leave Donovan be for, for, for the rest of the podcast, I think, unless a joke comes up. But... Uh, moving on to, I guess, some on-the-field matters. Um, the big recruit uh, news this week was Trey Bryant, three-star. For those who were listening last week, we uh, discussed him quite a bit. The running back who SU was kind of seeing as um, a bit of a hybrid, you know, H-back type. And unfortunately, um, he picked Kansas State over SU. It seems like a large part of that decision came from Kansas State being willing to slot him as a traditional running back. Um, Dan, last week we talked about kind of, you know, some 
some creative wording to get him and Mo Neal um, on the roster. Now that Brian is officially off the board, um, how important does Mo Neal become, um, both in terms of the overall class and, and as an H-back? Uh, I think he's a pretty important recruit. I don't think he's someone that'll, you know, make or break the class, but I think obviously he's one of the, the main guys that Syracuse has been uh, trying to go after. I think they probably prioritized him over Brian because Brian was someone they were going to try to squeeze in at a fairly unnatural position. Like he definitely profiles more as a, as a straight up running back, which, you know, is a reason I really can't blame him for choosing Kansas State if that's the role they're going to use him in. So, you know, he said he said all the right things in Syracuse leading up to the decision. But ultimately, you know, you want to play the position you want to play. And unless the school absolutely blows you away, I can totally understand why you'd choose the one that seems to align more directly with what your desires are as a player. Um, but, yeah, Moniel becomes pretty important for a lot of reasons. I think he has uh, some of the same recruiting connections as our, our favorite Robert Washington. He's friends with what Robert um, – We've talked about Christian Colon in the past, who at the moment the Penn State commit, but you know you never know if things open up if two of his good friends are both coming to Syracuse. Um, he seems to just be a really good player in his own right. So yeah, they're all positive things. He seems to be a guy that is identified as someone they really want as well. Like if he wasn't a very good player, you could offer him a scholarship to appease Robert and then not end up recruiting him that hard. But it doesn't seem that like that's the case. He, he looks to be a really talented player from what I've seen. So you want those kind of guys, and Syracuse uh, is always in need of playmakers. So hopefully they uh, they can get him in here. And I, I If they get him, I, I don't think the Bryant loss hurts all that much, um, especially because, you know, you kind of saw the writing on the walls as we got towards the end of there. Right. And honestly, and I, I, you know, I said this last week too, is that you, know, you can never have enough speed. Um, and I think at the same time, you know, you can't have just a ton of players at, at a single position that you're now kind of haphazardly plugging in. And I don't think that that's what the Syracuse offense is doing this year. But this, I think in some ways, though, you're going to see a little bit of that. I mean, Lester's offense needs to be predicated on plugging in the most talented guys um, all at once, creating some mismatches. So I think you're going to see some weird uh, – things in certain positions. I mean, you might see Ashton Burrow lined up at a traditional tight end spot here and there. I mean, we saw Ben Lewis practicing with H-backs. There's a lot of, there's a lot of wacky things that could go on. Um, and I think for what the roster is right now, that can work. But I, I do think that we, uh, we could see something problematic um, if we just go for speed and just go for what seems like um, you know, redundant position sets. I think having Stubbs, Washington, and O'Neill allows for uh, the right mix of, you know, playmaking ability on the outside and some ability to, to rush the ball, especially with Washington's case, since he will be a traditional running back. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, hopefully O'Neill uh, take that spot. And I also, in general, like I said, just want to see kind of now that Lester's offensive philosophy seems to have taken hold, um, you know, how that's going to affect the rest of, of recruiting for this cycle as it continues to shape out. Yeah, and you raise an interesting point about how pieces fit in different places because if you really think about it, um, the guys you have in the roster, even if they're a fifth-year senior, which I'm not sure how many of those there are, but off the top of my head, 
Um, in the last five seasons, including this upcoming one, uh, we've basically run five different offenses. There was the not great 2011 Nate Hackett, you know, Doug Marone power offense that fizzled out at the end. There was the 2012 really good K-Gun that even like mid-year kind of evolved as we went along. There was the 2013 first George McDonald. Uh, who knows what that offense really was, but, you know, that ended up just turning into Terrell Hunt kind of playing uh, NFL street at the end and, and making plays. And then last year's abomination of bubble screens and then whatever Tim Luster tried to do with it. Now this year we have Tim Luster installing his own mystery spread slash 12 personnel slash 20 personnel, whatever offense. So it isn't like we've really had uh, a coherent vision for what the offense has been, even from a year to year basis, which is probably a reason for some of the confusion with guys like Ashton Broyles, who hasn't really seemed to make the most of his talent, or even a guy like Alvin Cornelius, who breaks out at the end of 2013 and then is a ghost all of last year and now seems to be breaking out again. So obviously we don't know if Lester will be here in 2016 or if Schaefer will be here in 2016, but um, hopefully, I mean, if all goes well, obviously we want all the churches to be back because that means everyone's done a pretty good job. But it's really been kind of a mess with how the Syracuse offense has uh, evolved where we've really, I mean, if you really want to go specifically into it, it's almost like we've had seven offenses over the course of five seasons. Which is, I mean, to me, indicative of a program in much worse shape than what we are, or is my perception of the program in much better shape than what it actually is? Um, and you bring up a great point on Broyles. I know Sean said when, when Broyles first got on campus, joked that he was kind of our Tim Tebow. Everyone seemed to be uh, you know, watching his every move and, and, and really just kind of thrilled with, with prospect of him, whether it was, you know, lining up in some sort of wildcat formation or, um, you know, being split out wide or, or being lined up a traditional running back. And then when he was switched over to H-back um, and, and through all that, and, and Broyles has played well, um, he just hasn't lived up to the potential. And, and I don't necessarily know if it's entirely his fault, but that said, he can be a bit of a hothead. There is, there's some, fair documented proof of that. Um, but Dan, do you think that we're not really talking a ton about him, but do you think he could end up being the key to whether or not uh, Tim Lester's offense works this year? I wish I knew. Um, it's hard to say without seeing this offense and what we've read about the offense. It hasn't really, like, I don't think it's necessarily a good or bad thing, but I don't think the, the vision for this offense has really been articulated all that clearly. Um, Apparently, it has been to the players, and they all seem to be raving about how easy it is to pick up and how everyone feels better than last year. But I, I have no idea what Royals' role in the offense is going to be. I think talent-wise, he's still an extremely promising player. Um, we've seen, you know, hints of it here and there. And I think even two years ago, he was our leading receiver, if I'm, if I'm correct. It just wasn't a lot of uh, – he did a lot of help from the quarterback situation. Um, and then last year, he spent a lot of time injured. So I, I think – uh, we would be very wise to try to utilize him as best we can, but it, it's very hard to know about anything about this offense. Even down, I mean, we know Trail Hunt's in the start. We know kind of what the offensive line looks like, but I mean, H-backs mean like three different things, and, and you know, and now we have people, you know, we find out that the Y is the thing that we're recruiting for, like that big hybrid wide receiver tight end position, which 
it seemed like it was folded into the HVAC before, but now we're not quite sure. So I don't know if they've intentionally made it kind of a vague thing. They probably have because that's how coaches work. But we're really not going to have a great idea of what we're dealing with until the first game rolls around, I don't think. Yeah, and I think that's the scary thing for me um, is just how much we don't know. Um, And we'll get to plenty of that uh, throughout the summer, uh, both on the site and here on the podcast. But you know, segueing a little bit, you did bring up a great point um, about Hunt. And it's something that I kind of echoed in the, the quarterback position preview on Tuesday. We know Hunt's the starter. Um, Dan, if you had to sign a percentage uh, just arbitrarily, what is the likelihood that um, Hunt is still the starter um, come the Boston College game? Um, or even, well, check that. Because I, I do think that there's a chance Hunt could start that game, even if he didn't start previous ones. What do you think the chances are that Hunt is starting the NC State game, which is the week before the end of the season in 2015? Uh, I'll go like a strong like 85, 90%. I think the, the churches want Hunt to start. I think Hunt has, of all the quarterbacks on the roster, um, Hunt has had by far the most success. Like Even though he hasn't done it, on a week-to-week basis, we've seen Hunt, like, in those first two games, he started against, admittedly, pretty bad teams. Didn't he have, I think he had the best quarterback rating in the country uh, through those two weeks. Like, he, no joke, destroyed a two-lane team that went ended up going to a bowl, so they weren't a train wreck, and then, obviously, a pretty bad, whatever the FCS team they played that year was. Um, and then, you know, even the Boston College game, uh, the end of the Northwestern game, um, the bowl game at Minnesota, the Central Michigan game last year, like Hunt has had a, a number of moments where he's looked pretty confident. He's a, a really good runner. Um, I think barring injury, we'll see Hunt start every game unless something unforeseeable happens in terms of him just like totally being a train wreck. But I think it's more because we've seen a lot, a decent amount of Austin Wilson now. He doesn't seem to quite be, I, I didn't, he hasn't totally impressed me. He's had flashes here and there, but nothing like what Hunt's done. Lawn, I think they'd like to redshirt if possible. I don't think they're going to throw Eric Dungy to the Wolves or, or something like that. So I'm, I feel pretty confident that Terrell Hunt will be the starter every week for our injury. I would agree there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna set that at. I'm gonna go even higher than you. I'll go at 88. Um, percent I brought this up a little bit in the comments. Um, Lester and Schaefer definitely have uh, a lot of stock in Hunt, um, not just kind of in this year's win-loss record, um, but just in general, they, they definitely feel like they, they've invested a ton in him over his college career. They do have a personal attachment to him. Um, obviously, they're not going to, you know, withhold an important decision um, if, if the wheels are coming off, but I honestly don't think they will. Um, doesn't mean he's going to excel at the same level that he did against teams like Wagner or Tulane, um, and I wouldn't necessarily bet on him mimicking last year's uh, CMU game which to me might have actually been his best performance as a starting quarterback uh, at the collegiate level. But um, what we're seeing from him this year, um, as long as Lester's offense is correct, as long, well, as long as what we hear about Lester's offense is correct, is we could be seeing a much, a much slower game for him. Um, I think a much more balanced game for him. I know last year, the one thing that we saw at the end and ultimately led his injury was just, you know, how much he was running the ball um, and how much he was just getting hammered. Um, You know, 
either once the offensive line broke down through injuries and just some really aggressive blitz schemes, or when he was really, you know, taking a lot of shots in the open field. I mean, I think he had 20 carries or at least 15 in like two straight games um, before going down with that injury. Um, I think a more balanced offense um, and some quicker reads for him um, in Lester's uh, packages could really um, help him out a ton. And honestly, like it also becomes a question of if, if the season becomes derailed um, for any reason, do you pull the plug um, and, and burn Long's red shirt? Because then it's gone. Because at that point, um, you know, you're not going to bother red shirting Long next year. Um, and obviously you want to be able to let your guys on that roster, and there are a ton of them on the quarterback position, kind of figure out, you know, if they're going to be at SU, if that's going to be the best chance for them to both get an education and to play. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'll put it I'll put it a little bit higher than 85%, um, as long because there are a lot of just other, like, wacky factors that, that play in there. Yeah, and I, I would hope that we wouldn't burn Long's red shirt for, like, just to see what happens. Like, I don't know, you know, who knows if he ends up being the quarterback, but you'd like to have the extra year of eligibility, even if just to let him have it. So if he transfers or something or gets hurt down the road, like, he can use it at his own discretion. Like, uh, if we're, if, if you put the, pull the plug on Hunt at two-thirds of the way through the year, I think you just let Wilson deal with it. Yeah, I completely agree. And honestly, like, the only way that happens um, – is if for some reason, um, you know, we, we really, really fall flat against some really manageable teams um, in the early parts of this season. I mean, for all intents and purposes, that she should be three and one, um, you know, through the first four games. At that point, you're already a third of the way in. Hunt's kind of your horse, and, and unless, he, unless he somehow isn't. We will see. I guess looking at that, though, we said we wouldn't burn Long's red shirt. Do you think, and you know, we don't wish this for him, but do you think that if things play out well for for Hunt and if Long kind of enters spring practice as a starter, um, do you think Wilson might look elsewhere? Uh, it wouldn't shock me. I think quarterbacks are more and more starting to identify uh, what the situation is early and try to move to a better one, and I can't blame them. I mean, when you're a quarterback, generally coaches will only use one. It's not like where if you're a receiver, if you're one of the four top guys, like you're going to be in the game plan every week. Like quarterback, unless you have a weird two QB system, you're not going to have the opportunity to play. So if if you're stuck behind a guy that's a similar year, you know, best case, you might get one year to play, and that's if you win the job. And a lot of times if you're a senior heading into – you know, what would be your only year starting, the coach might have preference uh, preference of starting a sophomore or junior if the talent's even close. So it's um I think quarterbacks are understand understandably more prone to transfer uh, even if it's down a level just because uh they that that uh DeAndre Jordan could be just put in the chat to me thing. <laughs> I, I just think it's it's totally understandable why I don't my transfer. So I wouldn't I mean Obviously, we're projecting, but if something like that happened, I wouldn't blame them at all for, for taking a look elsewhere. No, completely. And, I, and I mean, I again, I got into this on Tuesday. 
I mean, even if you remove Zach Mahoney, uh, the preferred walk-on, from the conversation, um, next year still features Long, Wilson, Eric Dungy, Contarius Womack, um, and Rex Culpepper. And that's if we don't add another quarterback um, for the 2016 cycle. And again, if we don't include Zach Mahoney. Um, to me, it's just a very, very um, kind of crowded depth chart with a lot of guys around same level or the same, you know, amount of eligibility. Um, so again, not that we want it to happen, but I wouldn't doubt it if, if this thing really needs, um, you know, a couple of years to shuffle itself out. We might unfortunately need to say goodbye uh, to a couple of these players, uh, a la Mitch Kimball, this past offseason. Yeah, and it's interesting because there's kind of a mix of guys who, like, Contarius Wilmax seems to be a guy who's super athletic also was really under-recruited. Syracuse was like, you know, the late offer and we, we grabbed him late in the cycle. But he's a guy, just looking at his athletic background, who maybe could end up playing DB or wide receiver with his length and his speed. Whereas, like, a Rex Culpepper, I mean, it seems like quarterbacks who move positions end up like tight end or whatever, but he seems more like a pure quarterback. Um, that's always something. Or Eric Dungey could be, you know, he, he's a, I think he was like an all-state safety as well quarterback. So, it, that's why I think um, a lot of times you'll see coaches go after guys who can play two positions and at least give themselves an option of having some uh, some kind of versatility. So that also plays into the, to it where I don't think a Wilson or a Culpepper will most likely change positions. I think they'd be more more likely just to transfer out. And it's, none of this is to say that anyone's going to transfer that we have any idea. Like this is just all projecting on our part. So don't don't quote us on this. <laughs> <laughs> Watch tomorrow. Report. Comments from <laughs> report. Un, comments from un, podcast. <laughs> Rex Culpepper, who's a high school player and won't be in Syracuse for two years, is transferring to Syracuse. Player X to transfer before even arriving on campus. Before signing his letter of intent. Yeah, I think that that's a good point, though. I mean, I've I've been on the record of saying, you know, Eric Dungy really excites me as a player. I think um, I think he's a little bit bigger version of uh, of AJ Long. I think he's got a little bit more speed on the outside. Um, I know we kind of joke he's a little bit a little bit of Johnny Football in him. Uh, definitely, definitely seems like he has the right amount of uh, of confidence without coming off as, as too brash. Seems like he knows how to execute. I'm a really related team, but, you know, this is all kind of scout talk more than anything else based on a couple of highlight tapes. Um, and we'll really have to wait at least a season um, to see Dungy in action. Um, but I, I think out of everybody on the roster, he really does excite me the most um, long-term. Yeah, Syracuse has done well with uh, going after these guys who – um, are from lesser recruited areas. I mean, obviously Oregon is a power program, but I don't think if I, I remember checking. I don't think Oregon took a player from Oregon in the last recruiting cycle. Uh, so it, it's not a huge football state, but you know, occasionally the competition can be like a, a question mark. But also, it could be something that prevents big programs from going after a player that might be just as talented as as he seems. So, and we saw that with Womack. We saw that with Stephen Clark, who ended up blowing up at the end of his recruitment who were both from really tiny schools. So it's, I think that's one of the things that Syracuse has been really good about going after, um, taking rips on those guys. 
taking risks on guys who have academic questions. And I know we've been about 50-50 with those guys, you know, coming in, but I think they're worth holding out spots for when you're trying to, you know, go up against some of the big boys in recruiting. So uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of how they've uh, had the coaching staff for the last two coaching staff, I guess, have approached uh, going after lesser recruited players for reasons that might be beyond uh, the football field. Could not agree more. Um... At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Yeah, I think that's good for uh, our first half of the show. Why don't we uh, throw it over to halftime? And a little beer chat. Obviously, there's uh, going to be decidedly more American than it was the week before um, after everyone being able to celebrate a long weekend for 4th of July. For sure. Yeah, uh, definitely a pretty decent beer weekend, for sure. Although we discovered that uh, while down at the Jersey Shore, we discovered that my little brother, who is not of age, but I don't think any law enforcement is listening, uh, no, kind of make a really good pina colada. So he was all over those that I, I was able to sneak some some good beers into. So very, I think, time well spent this weekend. Nice, nice. Do tell, Dan. Do tell. Um, so aside from some of the standards, uh, Dale's, which I have at my local bar all the time, because it comes in pretty big. Uh, so like the big 24-ounce founders for like only a couple bucks, which is great. Uh, founders, all the FBA have been drinking a lot of um, because it is a really great session, IPA. Um, Black Anitas, uh, I tried Shrugs, which I enjoy a lot of their beer. There's Sunshine Pills, which I thought was pretty good. Nothing like crazy, but it's a really solid, crisp Pilsner. Um, the highlight of my week for sure was on Monday night, actually. Uh, I had a couple of... Uh, Avery Brewings, the Maharaja, which I know has a really high rating uh, on beer average. I think it's like a 96. Uh, and I, I peeped that before I went to the bar I was going to, and um, it lived up. I mean, it's a double IPA, but super drinkable, like really nice uh, kind of mellow, like sweet molasses notes in there. Um, 10.2 alcohol by volume, which was uh, I definitely knew it after a couple of those. Um, but yeah, like uh, really great beer. So very happy I got a chance to try that. Very nice. I'd have to say I am a very big fan of uh, of All Day IPA. I wish it was out here. Um, might be soon though. I've heard a lot of murmurs about founders being out on the West Coast sooner rather than later. Um, it's probably my favorite session IPA um, on the market. And I do enjoy Maharaja as well. Um, just a very kind of sticky, hoppy um, IPA. I try to get like a bottle every time it comes out, but definitely, definitely um, one of the more enjoyable annual releases for me as far as like easily attain obtainable stuff. Yeah, I had heard about it before, but I, was, uh, I hadn't seen it, I don't think, or I hadn't tried it at the 
and uh, I was very happy to see it on tap. On my end, um, a lot of stuff, as always. Um, had Russian River sanctification. Uh, managed to grab a bottle on my way um, out of Santa Rosa last month. I was glad I got to crack that one open. Um, enjoyed some Yellow Rose IPA from Lone Pine Brewery. Um, only really down in Texas. Occasionally gets out to Oklahoma. Really, really great um, IPA. Incredibly well balanced. Um, believe it's single hops. I think it's just mosaic. Um, a really enjoyable brew um, for anyone in the market for a new IPA. Um, went out to a few different spots um, throughout the weekend to get to check out um, Pablo Escobar from uh, Beachwood Brewing. It's a great um, coffee stout. Also had Grundian Pale Ale. It's a really nice staple pale ale. Pretty much anywhere you'll be able to find it. Um, Sticky Monkey, which is just Incredibly aggressive, and I would recommend not trying that as your night closer. It's like around 14%, so definitely a, definitely a tough one the later you get, in, get to drinking it in the night. Um, Smog City's Grape Ape IPA, always a delicious option. Try to have that one whenever. They don't bottle it, so uh, it's one of those where if I see it on tap, I'm grabbing it. And that's really it. Yeah, had a bunch more, but a lot of that was kind of repeats and figured people hear about what I drink every week. So why well, kind of hit them over the head with another one of those? I'm sure I'm sure everyone enjoys enjoys the rundowns every week, John. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody that's involved in untapped. I feel like I get new follows all the time, and I'm never sure if it's from the blog or just like random people coming across my profile. But I think I think we get uh, something out of it. Yeah, I think I know. Sometimes I can usually tell when from the blog if it's somebody like either in New York or Syracuse in particular. Um, I guess talking to people start like talking to someone who like about a beer in someone's comment section and then somebody else starts chiming and we realize like, Oh yeah, we like it's all the same breweries. And we end up like following one another after that. Yeah. Yeah, It's always helpful. uh, Beer community. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm more open to untapped followers than anything else. Like at least more than like Facebook or LinkedIn. Like I'll just love everyone follow me and, follow them back and toast their random drinks, although I do appreciate when they're in the area so I can find out what things are. Yeah, everyone, follow Dan on, on Untapped because uh, that'd be fun for him. I know we, we ask you in the post every week, but, but now I'm explicitly telling you, go follow him. Yes, especially if you're in New York City and know where good beers are and know where I can find them. Yeah, or just bring them to my apartment. <laughs> Even expanding Just bring them directly that. to me. Yeah, on Untapped, you can now set different alert settings for when people are nearby and check in nearby to you. So that's cool if you have friends that are. Also, you can look uh, you get alerts for when certain views are checked into near you. So for those who are 
looking to ease the hunt a little bit, but it's another option, and it's also a good option to hang out with friends. Yes, and thank you on tap for sponsoring the podcast, as always. I, I think I'm going to back charge them for that. Because that was, an, <laughs> Have you not been that was, that was a nice promo. Well, like, you <laughs> you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> that portion of the show is sponsored by, you know, this is the part where we're actually going to intersperse some, some advertising that people do not directly pay for, but they do pay for somewhere. We'll see that money eventually. They're all big fans. Yeah. Hopefully. Okay, so uh, kind of getting back to uh, to DeAndre Jordan because I feel like this has been this is more from from crazy situations to, to magical social media moment. Um, again, th- this will be old news for those who are tuning in tomorrow um, slash today Thursday. Um, I mean the the amount of of love I had for NBA Twitter before this was already pretty high, but, but I mean, Dan, you pointed it out first. Blake Griffin's tweet with the, uh, with the chair blocked in the door was a whole new level of just the self-awareness between that and, and the emoji battle earlier. Um, everyone just seems like they're all into making this the best joke of like summer sports Twitter. It's funny because like the Clippers in the last, what, like eight hours have gone from one of like the, fun to watch, but pretty miserable to, like, follow thoroughly uh, Chris Paul's kind of an asshole team to, like, hilarious. Like, they've all been way on their game today, and now it sounds like they're all but definitely going to get back the player that they had lost, uh, who was a major key to their whole team. Um, so, big, big win for the Clippers today. Not only that they get to steal DeAndre Jordan back from uh, from under Mark Cuban's nose, but uh, also because they became like infinitely more likable, even if it's just for this one day. Very much agree. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. So at this point, we're resigned to, to Jordan signing uh, with the Clippers again, which is going to kill off the Mavs' chances of not just signing him, but really, really in any sort of notable pickup. I mean, Wes Matthews, even if, He's definitely signing with the Clippers per report. I mean, the Clippers, sorry, the Mavericks. Whether or not DeAndre uh, is in Dallas or in LA, um, but he's probably not going to be back until midseason, based on his injury from last year. Um, also, saw in, in the process of this whole stakeout situation, uh, Jeremy Lin signed with the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, it's a weird fit over there, but it also uh, kind of screws over Dallas's continued plan as well. Um, Dan, now that we have a little bit more clarity on uh, kind of what's shaken out, who is your, your new big winner? Um, and, and that assuming LeBron James also signs with Cleveland, which at this point is just kind of a formality at this point. Yeah, uh, it's the Spurs. So um, you have Kawhi Leonard locked up. 
You've got David West on a like laughably small contract in who knows what role he even plays, but in whatever the 18, 20 minutes he plays, he'll probably be really productive. You got Lamarcus Aldridge as the heir apparent star, star four to Tim Duncan, who, you know, fits that scheme really well. Um, Danny Green, not a really affordable contract. He's an important player for them. Like, it, nothing that happened to the Spurs made them any worse. And pretty much everything they did was at, at least a, a pretty decent upgrade. Um, they got younger. Uh, their future seems more secure. Um, so I think they're the big winner still, uh, no matter what else happens. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to, to argue with the Spurs. Obviously, uh, the Cavs keeping Ken and Love was a, was a big deal. Um, but the Spurs just seem to do themselves a, a real big solid with, you know, locking up Aldridge, locking up Leonard, and also grabbing David West, an underrated signing. I mean, they've definitely they've got a little bit more work to do on depth. I think they're a little bit thinner than they were last year. Um, but overall, I think they're younger. I think their primary players uh, give them a lot more athleticism. I think that's going to be um, really, really big for them as a as the West kind of starts emulating Golden State. Um, Spurs seem to be committed to going a little bit bigger, a little mo- bit more defensively minded. Um, and that could be an asset. Um, I think if the Clippers pull this off, um, by default, they actually become, they, they go from biggest loser uh, last week, potentially, to, to biggest winner, uh, or at least in the top three. Um, people forget at this point, you know, that they picked up Paul Pierce for like pennies on the dollar. Um, if they're able to lock in DeAndre Jordan, I mean, you know, you have arguably the the game's best rebounder um, locked up for four or five years. Uh, they also went and grabbed uh, Lance Stevenson, who I don't think he's I don't think he's done yet. Um, I, I think last year was just a bad bad season for him on a weird contract, Charlotte. Um, and I think that you're going to see um, probably productivity similar to what you've seen from him before. Um, in in LA and and you know with all those ads and and obviously Jordan's retention I mean this team suddenly looks like they're much better um, in their probably top eight in the rotation than they did last year and I think that's really what what killed them last year was just bad bench play and and now that they have what looks like some pretty great bench play um, I think they have to elevate back to contender status uh, probably in the West top three, maybe four max. Dan, where'd you go? Oh, first time of the night. I muted myself. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was so good. 46 minutes in. Um, no, I agree with the Stevenson signing. I think that was one that really it was early, so it kind of got lost in this whole shuffle. Right? It was, a, was it a trade? It wasn't a signing. Um, but either way, it's something, you know, it happened couple weeks ago now, so it kind of got lost in the shuffle of all the crazy creation moves. But, I mean, two years ago, he was a really good player for Indiana, um, and one they didn't really want to lose. So, the worst case is they didn't give up like that much for him, and best case, he becomes uh, a pretty decent upgrade over what Matt Barnes gave you. Uh, so, yeah, the Clippers are, uh, I, I, they should be, at least as good as they've been the last couple of years, there's a chance they might be even a little better. Um, I don't know if they keep pace with the Spurs, or I'm not sure if they've vaulted themselves to the level of the Warriors, but they're at least going to be competitive, which as of this morning, it didn't look like they were going to be. So 
very good day for them. Too, too true. Um, focusing on my team for a second, because, you know, misery loves company, and I love to accompany the Knicks. Um, what what do you think at this point? I, I'm not I'm not necessarily pissed off anymore. Uh, the Knicks seem to have a, a pedestrian offseason by their standards, just in terms of, of drama and general stupidity. Um, but it does seem like they uh, they actually pulled off um, a decent building offseason and one that can actually establish a core of a team. I mean, I like a lot of the young pieces on the roster and, and on the summer league squad. Um, you get guys like Langston Galloway, guys like Clint Anthony Early. Uh, these are all people that are going to be on the team next year. Um, and I think I do applaud um, the restraint bringing in a lot of these wings who have minimal NBA experience, but a lot of high upside. Um, for me, the, the funniest part of it all, and this is why I bring it up, because I know you will probably appreciate this as well, um, is Robin Lopez, uh, the kind of big free agent get, has a, has a long history of assaulting mascots, which is something like I, I remembered in passing, but like didn't really focus in on. When I started watching all the footage, and, and, and Robin Lopez is, is a the sadistic mascot assaulting human being. The, the Lopez's are great. Uh, they're, I think they're just an underrated part of the NBA. Um, I've been a big, a big proponent of Brooke the last couple of years. Robin is, is not quite as good, but he's way weirder, uh, which is saying a lot because Brooke's pretty weird. Um, so, you know, maybe they overpaid for Robin a little bit, but they probably underpaid for Aaron Apollo. Uh, so that combination, I think, you got pretty good value in, and it'll be fun to to follow them, and they definitely upgrade the team. I, I don't know if the Knicks, I mean, they should be able to compete for the playoffs because doing that is just like having a general, you know, functioning heartbeat um, in the East. But I, I don't think they're a contender for the East by any means, but I don't think there was a real chance of them doing anything this offseason that would make them one. So short of that, I think it's been a pretty successful uh, set of moves for them. Uh, unless you wanted them to to re-scrap everything and tank uh, and try to do that all over again and get rid of Mello, which I think maybe would be the right move, uh, but, but probably unrealistic. Uh, I think they've done about as well as they probably could have done. Yeah, I mean, all things considered, um, the I was sick and tired of the, you know, go out and sign somebody to a max deal um, nonsense. And, and it's great to kind of see a smart offseason. I mean, obviously, like maybe someone like Greg Monroe would have been a better signing um, than Lopez. But at the same time, like Lopez does a lot of great things um, off the ball. He does a lot of great things on the defensive end. Um, the Knicks still need another player to be able to score um, beyond Mello, and that was kind of an issue um, for the team when J.R. Smith wasn't playing too well for them. And then, um, you know, once it's kind of once Jared left, Mello was already out. Like there's just a lot of a lot of uncertainty there um, in terms of who else is going to do the line share at the scoring. It's going to have to be a guy like Grant, maybe a guy like Early. Um, but yeah, I, I think that this is a this is an interesting team. I don't think Mello sees the end of that contract, but because he has no trade clause, um, you're not going to see him go um, to any team for you know just whatever reason they feel like that there's going to be a measured process knowing mellow is probably going to be played out in the media 
um, and is going to result in Knicks getting a hell of a lot less back than they probably should for someone I still contend is one of the top 15 players in the NBA. But what do I know? I'm uh, crossing my fingers that, that this season finds a way to be respectable. Yeah, and uh, I had a point, but just totally lost it. Oh, I was going to say, you could always go get Amari Stadmar back. He could yeah. probably score like 10 points in 15 minutes before blowing out his knee every day. I mean, I'd, I'd pay the veterans minimum for that. That's probably all he's going to get. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't really have a problem with Amari. I would say like, the one thing you'll find from most Knicks fans is that no one really hates Amari Stoudemire. He uh, he got people re-excited in the Knicks. He believed in us when no one did. Um, yes, it was for too much money, so it's easy to believe in someone when they're willing to give you $20 million more than anyone else will. Um, but you know what? He did a lot of good for, for the city. He did a lot of good for the Knicks. Um, I don't have any qualms, and honestly, if he wants to come back for a vet's minimum, I, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, I mean, it's not like anything that happened was his fault. He got hurt. He was a legit, like, MVP-level player for, like, the first three quarters of his uh, first next season. So, yeah, you can't really blame him for, for the injuries. That's just, it happens. True. What about your team before we uh, kind of head into the, the final stretch here? How do you feel about the Nets? Obviously, they really weren't supposed to do much. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of a similar offseason to what the Knicks had. A lot less acquisitions, but I think you got, you know, in the draft, they, they picked up McCullough, which is kind of a long play because I have to actually play this year. But, you know, without having all these draft picks going forward, they played the, you know, this 29th pick to turn into a top 10 type talent, uh, which I think is the right move and even better move when you, look at them bringing in Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Uh, and I know a lot of people criticize the Mason Plumley trade uh, from outside, but as someone who watched way more Nets basketball than I should have last year, which wasn't all that much, but, you know, I watched probably a third of their games, even after it came out, they weren't very good. Um, Plumley just couldn't play with Brooke Lopez. Like, those two just didn't fit in the lineup together. They occupied the same area on the floor. Neither, uh, I mean, Brooke can score from always in the basket, but you have to play him at five. Like, there was no uh, option of putting one at the four and having it work. So, Plumlee's a nice player, uh, but it just wasn't going to work when they committed to having Brooks be the centerpiece of the team, which was the right move because he's probably the most talented offensive center in, in basketball if he stays healthy. Um, so, a bit of a gamble there, but I think they got decent value for Plumlee considering I think Hollis Jefferson has a chance to be a, a Tony Allen-type player on defense. Um, and if he gives you anything offensively, it's a bonus. Uh, they locked up Thaddeus Young for, you know, not a great value deal, but a decent one considering some of the other deals that were given out this year. Uh, they got younger. They, you know, went and bought a second rounder who they like a lot, who I don't think will play this year, but that's something they do a lot. Um, so, you know, they didn't get – I think they, they kind of held, held serve because that was – about the most they could do, and if they can somehow trade Joe Johnson or Darren Williams or both, that would be great. But other than that, and that's the only thing they can really do right now is go and try to make the playoffs and hope that something crazy happens after that because there's no incentive to do anything less based on what the draft picks are. 
that is indeed true. And it's the good and bad of, uh, of the system in terms of, you know, how how these things shape up for franchises that are going to trade picks away. I, both basketball teams in New York, Lakers, others. Um, so yeah, fun times in the NBA. We shall see what happens next. Um, we'll close out because a lot of people hate the NBA for some reason um, with some Syracuse football news again. Um, you and I laughed about uh, Rob Trudeau getting named to the uh, Remington Trophy watch list today. Uh, Trudeau, is, as you all know, is probably the best pro prospect on the roster right now, which assume what you'd like about that. Um, but played guard um, every season up until now. And now suddenly he, uh, he'll be thrown into the starting center role, but yet was named one of the top 63 centers in the country. Um, going into the season. Dan, your thoughts? Um, I can't remember the last time a Syracuse starting center wasn't on the Remington watch list heading into the season, so I probably shouldn't be surprised that Ron Trudeau was on the Remington watch list heading into the season, but I think all you need to know about the Remington watch list heading into the season is that there are 53 players on it, so if you're a power conference center or have started there before or are any good, you're probably going to be on it. So, Congrats to him. It's a cool thing that he can put on his series of bio. It doesn't ultimately mean anything because you can add it and take, I mean, the, the winner could not be on that list right now, but uh, it's just kind of funny. So that's about as much news as you can take away from it. I would agree. It's good to be recognized, but let's see what happens. Um, lastly, uh, ACC kickoff, a.k.a. Media Days. Um, Syracuse announced they'll be sending Terrell Hunt and Zaire Franklin. Uh, are you su- surprised by Franklin? Do you think that there's another player who maybe should have or could have gone, or, or is this just kind of a whoever shows up shows up type thing? No, I think it's very interesting. Um, it would have made probably – it would have been more likely to see like a Wayne Morgan or a Ron Thompson or someone who has been in the program for a couple of years now. But Franklin, I think it show it, it tells you a lot about what the coaches think of him and how his teammates probably view him. I mean, this is a, a thing that should be considered an honor for, I mean, Hunt's a no-brainer, but, you know, usually this is reserved for seniors or captains. Um, and Franklin uh, has never started, unless he started maybe a late game last year. But he's a promising player. He was one of those guys who uh, committed to Syracuse early and then got a ton of offers and got some heat from like Penn State and just stuck with the commitment without ever wavering. Uh, seems to be, from all by all accounts, a really good good kid. Um, I think it tells you a lot that they give a you know first-year starter, true sophomore, that honor. So uh, clearly he's someone that can see, will represent the program well. And uh, – yeah, it's definitely interesting because it's not something that we've seen Syracuse do, really. I think Hunt, the last year as a junior, he was the only junior. Usually it's been all seniors. Yeah, I mean, that seems like it's, it's interesting because the MO of the staff is typically, you know, like you, you, you keep with your guys, you, you kind of pay it forward with a guy who, who stuck with you. Um, and, you know, having Hunt, I mean, if you want to go off in defense, I would think uh, either Hunt Thompson, Hunt, um, you know, John Raymond, uh, Hunt, even, um, I'm trying to think who else is out there. I mean, even Hodge, I might've, 
pegged before. Wiggum too, to be honest. Um, but I, I don't complain about it. I mean, I yeah, I, I would even have said uh, would even said Riley Dixon, um, but before Franklin. And that's not even that to to take anything away from Franklin. I think that he's uh, maybe he's a great player, and I think that there's a lot of promise um, with him on the field. I think it's like you said, it's, it's a very interesting move. Um, this is even more surprising than the Bromley selection um, a couple years ago uh, to me. And I, I do look forward to hearing what Franklin has to say um, at media days and, and also, more importantly, um, you know, just what he produces on the field. Yeah, I think he's a good player. And uh, Raleigh Dixon will the highest in ceremony later this year, so I, I think he'll be okay. Indeed. All right. Um that was a good place to close this out. I feel like we had a nice uh, eventful podcast. A lot of uh, lot of Syracuse, a lot of uh, Los Angeles Clippers slash Dallas Mavericks slash DeAndre Jordan fakeout news. Um, hopefully, people still care about that tomorrow. Fingers crossed. I mean, if Chris Broussard is not making up the report that Cuban is driving around downtown Dallas begging for the address of DeAndre's home, which I'm a little fr- I'm questioning on the uh, I'm pretty sure DeAndre's in Houston. But Andres Bussard is also a pretty terrible journalist. But uh, aside from that, I hope that's all. Uh, I hope that's all true, and uh, I'm enjoying all of this. Yeah, like I actually like Mark Cuban a lot. <laughs> and, oh, I like Mark so, Cuban like, too. Like it sucks. Like it sucks that to happen to him, but at the same time, like this is just immensely, immensely funny um, to, to see all this you know, just play out in real time. And, and, and social media has just made this such a, just a fun and really magical experience for all of us NBA fans here. Yeah, I've never, I've never enjoyed NBA Twitter more than today. And like, that's, I'm not making that up. That's a hundred percent true. It's been the best day of NBA Twitter probably ever. I would agree. Thank you, Blake Griffin. And Clippers game is going to be fun next year, except I'm not going to be able to afford to go to any of yeah, well, you can always come to Brooklyn Nets teams. They'll be uh, pretty mediocre and somewhat affordable, but not all, all that affordable. Fair enough. All right, and uh, on that note, we'll, uh, I think we'll sign off here. Dan, thanks, as always, for uh, for joining. Yeah, it was fun. Agreed. We laughed, we cried, we, we laughed some more. Um, that was Dan. I'm John. Everybody, please be sure to subscribe, like, review, rate, whatever. For uh, Troy Noon's an absolute podcast on Blog Talk, on iTunes, on whatever other thing that you might uh, use to subscribe to podcasts on, uh, comment on the, the post on the site, share the blog slash uh, podcast with whomever. Um, obviously, the more people who listen, uh, the more fun we have doing this um, because it's always fun to talk about the various subject matter um, and comments the next day. Uh, so, yeah. Have a very good night, and hopefully the Clippers are not locking you in your house. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a -a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, 
We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.